Have you realized yet that your purpose in life is constantly evolving? The thing is, it can only evolve, grow, and expand to the extent you're willing to do the work to heal. That's why I've created a transformative half-day virtual event designed for purpose chasers who want to integrate their authentic selves in every aspect of their life. Together, we're going to co-create conversations around reflecting on current patterns, amplifying your genuine desires, prioritizing fulfillment over the facade of what you should do, and we'll talk about achieving actual tangible results. I believe our work together will have a profound impact on your life as we break you out of autopilot, scale your potential, and set you up to attract everything you say you desire. Plus, this space will be an enjoyable and supportive environment for new connections with like-hearted purpose chasers from all over the world. Together, we will laugh, dance, and maybe cry, but we'll be doing the work together. If this speaks to your soul and you want to detox and release what's no longer serving you so you can live fully in the pillars of redefining wealth, tickets are currently complimentary for this half day of coaching, training, and co-creating a new blueprint for your heart's desires directly with me. So grab your ticket today at patricewashington.com slash soul detox. That's patricewashington.com slash soul detox. Wealthy, successful people are purposeful to their own agenda. The main thing is being purposeful about being a great business person, a great father, a great husband, and sharpening your internal being on a constant basis. You're listening to the Redefining Wealth Podcast with Patrice Washington. In today's episode, I sit down with serial entrepreneur and author, David Osborne. He says, wealth cannot wait. Hey there, this is Patrice from patricewashington.com, where we chase purpose, not money. Welcome back to another episode of Redefining Wealth. I am super excited to still be in this Confident Money series in honor of April, Financial Literacy Month, right? Really excited to welcome back my Purpose Chasers and my OG listeners. If you haven't joined that community, you better head to IamAPurposeChaser.com and join us because we are kicking off a new book because of this episode right here. We are reading together David Osborne's Wealth Can't Wait, and I want you to join us. It's absolutely complimentary. So come over to our Slack community at IamAPurposeChaser.com. Now, I have read this book twice now, actually three times now, uh, and I plan on reading it again with all of you. It is that good. And to have the honor of sitting down with one of the authors, I'm just super excited. He was so down to earth, so personable, um, just truly a teacher and and a guide. And I'm, I'm just, I feel like he's my mentor. He is my mentor from afar. And I'm super excited for you guys to hear this episode. If you are new to Redefining Wealth, a big welcome to you. Here's what you should know. In this community, we believe that wealth is more than money and material possessions. We believe that wealth is first and foremost about well-being. And so I have six pillars that I want you to explore and unpack, go all the way back in your podcast app to the very first few episodes so that you understand our pillars. And I'm telling you, you guys, when you read Wealth Can't Wait along with me in Patrice's Pod Club, you are going to see 
the synergy. If you love the six pillars of wealth and how I break things down here, you are going to love David's book and it is going to open your mind to what's possible for you in terms of your financial freedom, especially through real estate. So in this series, I wanted to introduce you to people to just help you become more confident in your dealing with money. And I couldn't think of anyone better than David Osborne. Now, before I jump in, I want to make sure that I let you know this episode is brought to you by my girl Gwendolyn Young at Your Virtual Admin Expert. Now, my premier clients all know that Gwendolyn is actually my right hand. She is the COO for Seek Wisdom Find Wealth, and she oversees all of my projects, everything. You know why? Because I needed to get my time back so I could focus on the things that mattered most to me. And the beautiful thing is Gwendolyn went from my coaching client years ago to starting an agency where she supports myself and so many other entrepreneurs just like me. And if you're like me, someone who knows that you were called to do something great, you just don't know all the back end stuff that needs to happen to go along with that, then I would tell you what Gwendolyn has to tell me all the time, which is stay in your genius. I realized that I needed to focus on my purpose and not piecemealing platforms together and trying to figure out how all these things go together because it was not what I was called to do. And since handing all that over to Gwendolyn a few years ago, things have literally shifted in such a major way in my business. And you guys are the recipients of that. The fact that I get to show up and do this work and be so present to it for you every single week and be so present as I'm speaking all over the country and be so present even to writing this next book. It's because I know that Gwendolyn is taking care of everything for me in the background. And so as much as it pains me <laughs> to let the world know about her, I believe that if there's any solopreneurs or small business owners in this community and you need help either per project or you need someone to kind of take over that back end piece for you and you know it's wasting a lot of your time, energy, money, effort, focusing on things that are not in alignment with your genius, then I want to invite you to have a call with Gwendolyn. You can find her at yourvirtualadminexpert.com. That's yourvirtualadminexpert.com. Have a call, talk to her, get her on a project or whatever it is that you need. But I always feel a sense of responsibility to make sure that if I introduce you to someone, it's someone I really believe in. And I do believe in Gwendolyn. So if you're on the market, check her out. Now, let's get into this episode with David. David Osborne has built one of the top real estate brokerages in the world with more than 4,500 agents and annual sales volume exceeding $8.5 billion per year. As a serial entrepreneur, David founded over 50 companies with at least 25 that are still going and profitable. He employs exceptional people and distributes millions of dollars to his partners. He's also an educator who teaches audiences how to live abundant lives through goal setting, hiring great talent, and developing multiple streams of income. Without further ado, listen in to this great conversation with David Osborne. Welcome to the Redefining Wealth Podcast, Thanks, Patrice. David. Great to be with you. You have no idea how truly excited I am about having you on the podcast. When I launched Redefining Wealth in 2017 and I started with a short list, my wish list of people I hope I can interview one day, you were on the short list because I had just picked up a copy of Wealth Can't Wait. 
And it was life-changing for me. It was literally life-changing. I've given the book to so many clients, to so many folks that I know, had girlfriends reading it, talking about it in a group chat, and just encouraging people to pick it up. And so to have this opportunity to actually sit down and have this conversation is such a blessing for me. I'm super excited. That is so great to hear, Patrice. It's uh, It was a labor of love. And I the book, as well as it sold, has not been profitable. So the profit I get is people like yourself telling me that you got value out of the book. I'm really, really glad and honored that you found some value in it. I did. And I have to give a shout out to um, Jason Lowry. He's a Keller Williams agent yeah. uh, in Southern California that I actually went to high school with. We went to the same school from elementary to high school. Yeah. Um, and I saw him just post a picture of the book on his Instagram. And nice. I'm like, wow, that looks interesting. And then a few weeks later, someone said, have you heard of the book, Wealth Can't Wait? It reminds me of what you're doing. Wow, that's so wealth. Cool. And I thought, I just bought that book. I didn't open it yet, but I just <laughs> bought it. And so, yes, Wish. it has been a blessing. Shout out to Jason as well for promoting the book. You know? I think <laughs> yes. we did a good job. I mean, it's like the everyday person's way, you know, to be successful and I mean, it literally took me seven years. It's it's embarrassing how hard and long it took. If I'd have known that, I might have never read. Yeah, it took me seven years to finish that book. Um, yeah. My, uh, my dad was dying of cancer. He's a soldier. Yeah. And uh, I was thinking to myself, you know, when my dad dies, he's going to take all these great stories with him. And he was kind of a big personality and a storyteller. And I thought, man, I should write a book in case something happens to me. You know, I, I might want to leave a legacy behind for my kids. And that's when it started. Uh, there's a quote I've loved that a book starts off as a fl- flirtation, becomes a romance, and then ends up as a mean dominatrix or something like that. And that's kind of <laughs> how it was. Like at the end, you're just, you're, it just beats you to death to reread it and reread it and try to get it right. But fortunately, we put a great team around us at the end and and after just seven years of labor and love. I could have probably worked another seven years on it, but I had to get it out. So I released it and we're proud of it. It's a, it's a good, it's a good book. I think it, if anybody picks it up and just reads it, they're going to learn how to move their life forward towards a wealthier life. And that was the number one goal. Absolutely. I agree with you. Anyone can pick this book up and find several things that'll help push them forward, motivate them to go forward. But what I loved about it too, is you gave so many practical things. So I really want to unpack a lot of that. You start the book by saying that wealth requires making a choice. And at some point we have to ask, is the way I'm choosing to live my life leading me to the future that I really want? Can you unpack that? Yeah. So look, I wrote another book actually, and it took me seven months. It's called Miracle Morning Millionaires with a friend of mine called Hal Elrod. And in the start of that book, we created that analogy of choice. We took it one step further and we said, you know, imagine you're in a game show and the guy says, hey, you've got to pick door number one or door number two. And behind one of these doors is a million dollars. And you're like, okay, so I got a 50-50 chance. But then the game show host goes on and says, but it's even easier than that. We're actually going to tell you that the money is behind door number one. So go pick door number one. And so you pick door number one and you get a million dollars. And that's really what wealth is. It's a choice. And, and what I mean by that is if you chose to be healthy, it doesn't take long to figure out what it takes to have physical health, right? You go to the grocery store and buy the vegetables, buy the things on the outside, uh, buy, the, buy the real foods, not the stuff in the mm-hmm. middle that lasts 20 years on the shelf. 
you would know that you need to exercise a little bit. It doesn't have to be amazing. You don't have to be an Olympic athlete, but you got to walk, you know, a certain amount every day, 45 minutes, five days a week would probably get you there. And you need to know that you need to sleep well and have loved ones around you and live a healthy, moderate lifestyle without too much sugar or alcohol or any of those things, right? So it's, it's not rocket science to figure out how to be healthy. Mm-hmm. The same is true of wealth. It's not rocket science to figure out that you should develop your skills to earn more money live below your means so you can save up some money to invest in income producing assets or various assets, right? That's all kind of baked into the awareness. You already should know that. So really, what is it then? It's not, you're not short on knowledge. You're not short on capability. What you're, it really is just a choice. It's the choice of making your coffee at home and not going to Starbucks every day. It's the choice of watching Netflix and cutting the cable. So you can build that capital And then it's the choice of, okay, learning about, in my opinion, real estate's the best place, but there's other, there's dividend stocks, there's the stock market. There's a lot of ways to get there, but you have to choose your discipline, read books about it. We're not talking about reading a hundred books. You could probably read three books and get great wisdom on how to invest in real estate, save up that capital, make your first investment, uh, seek out mentors, seek out peers, listen to your podcast. These are not impossible things to do, but they are a choice. And the choice is a little bit less nightclubbing and drinking and uh, buying toys and brand new cars and brand new designer clothes. And instead, having a disciplined, purposeful approach to building wealth. So really, wealth is a choice. Mm-hmm. And you got to make that choice and then live within that discipline. Don't you think that people avoid making the choice because it's not sexy? Like they don't that, you know, like Netflix, no cable or the, you know, the used car versus the new car. It's like, but, but, but that's not sexy. And then the, you know, the lie that many people tell themselves is, well, I work hard and I deserve those things though, David. Yeah. I mean, but don't you all, yeah, you're absolutely right. It is. I mean, I always think it's amazing that Tony Robbins has like four or 5 million followers and, and the Kardashians have like 50 million, like, There's nothing you're getting from the Kardashians that's going to transform your life. You're getting junk food entertainment, you know, pop entertainment and and people think they deserve it, but don't you deserve financial freedom? Wouldn't you, wouldn't it be amazing if you never had to answer to another person for the rest of your life? And the way to get there is probably 10 to 15 years of, 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 of certain amount of discipline. And yeah, people don't want to hear that. They think they deserve it and that's fine. But um, I don't know any, any way to get there other, you know, other than winning the lottery or just developing a few happy disciplines that'll serve you for a lifetime and making that choice to be wealthy. And we know that even those who win the lottery, because they don't have discipline built okay. in because it was a windfall, they, most of them end up in the same place, if not worse. Athletes, rock and rollers. You're absolutely right. Yeah. If you don't have the skill set, it doesn't matter how much money. And people think it's a money question. It's never a money question. It's a skill set question. And if you give everybody like a million bucks, I would bet nine out of 10 people will be back to broke within three or four years. Heck, I know a family, the dad had been very rich and the, the son inherited 20 million bucks. You'd think that would last a lifetime, but he, his dad was used to flying to Paris in a private jet. So the son kept doing that. And within 10 years, he was broke. It was done. All the money was gone. I love that you said that if you incorporate these types of behaviors, though, the ones that are based on discipline for 10 to 15 years, because you see so much, especially with the rise of social media, where people think that this stuff happens overnight. And you say in the book over and over again, you talk about years of doing certain activities, years Mm -hmm. of, you know, practicing um, I don't want to give too much away because I want to dive so much into pieces of this book, but 
that's the thing that I think we don't understand is that it does take years. And right. what is 10 or 15 years in the bigger scheme of your life, right? Like if you yeah. could manage to make those types of wise choices for yeah. that length of time, the end result is so much sweeter than the short-term gratification of foolishness. <laughs> I mean, it, it is. And it's, you got to redefine what winning is. And instead of turning winning from self-gratification for one little item, redefine winning as, hey, I bought this beautiful car secondhand for half the price of the guy that bought the new car. Hey, I bought this great shirt at the outlet mall for half the price of the other guy. You know, like that's the game you want to reprogram yourself as and quit the, quit competing with the crowd and the foolishness and start having an internal, like, how can I win by saving capital so I can invest that capital to have financial freedom? Yeah. You talk in the book about the seven wealth traps. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to ask you to break down all of them, but first I want you to break down one of my favorites. And I think one that many people could identify with, which is wealth trap number two, risk avoidance. Yeah. Can you, can you talk about that? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, I think a lot of people don't take the action that they know they should, you know, that they want to take. Like the guy has an idea for a business. The, the lady wants to buy a first property and, and they just, they just don't do it. They sit on cash for too long. I mean, the first goal is to learn to live within your means and accumulate capital. But the second level of success, you know, is taking that capital and making it go to work for you. And people get scared and they don't want to, they don't want to take that risk. And, you know, they want to, you know, I've seen people sitting on hundred thousand dollars. Like I knew, I knew a guy that, that won a hundred thousand dollars from some lottery. He was my English teacher back in high school and he had it invested at a bond at like 3%. And he was just trying to live on the $3,000. Now he could have bought one house in Austin, Texas. And uh, that house that was a hundred then would be probably 500,000 a day. And he'd own it free and clear. And he'd have rent that would have been greater than the the bond yield, you know, the treasury yield that he had for all that time. And he'd have a half a million dollar asset that was probably paying him $30,000, $40,000 a year by now. So people want to avoid risk. There is no life without risk. I think, um, I think you got to learn to embrace risk, not stupid risk, though. There's stupid risk and smart risk. You want to put all the odds on your on your side. Um, but you, if you don't take risks, you it's really hard to win. But again, I don't want to encourage you to do reckless risks, do thoughtful, measured risk. It's not a lot of risk in buying a rental property because you're not leveraged and it has positive cash flow, right? So, yeah, people people tend to avoid risk and that's why it's very hard for them to get ahead. And here, think of it this way, especially if you're younger, if you do make a mistake, you get so much knowledge from that. You get wisdom from it. If you start that business and fail, in three years, you will learn more working for yourself and failing than you ever would working for anybody else. You will you learn more than you learn in business school in three years from failing. I've had tons of failures. Absolutely. They used to terrify me. Now I just embrace them. They're just part of the part of the process. <laughs> you just so what happens when you face a failure? Like even at this stage, how do you pick yourself up and keep going? They're so, they sting much worse at the beginning. Um, it's almost like when a girlfriend breaks up with you. You know, at first it really stings, but by the tenth time, you're like, "Eh, somebody else didn't like me. No big deal." Um, I think. <laughs> I think with in, with business success, it really becomes that way. Like I look at where I am today and where I was and the failures sting early, 
But when you begin to realize that you learn more from the failing than you do from the succeeding, you almost are like, oh, I got another lesson. Thank you for that lesson. I'll be a better business person, a better businesswoman. I'll be a better investor going forward because of the mistake I made. So you're, you know, there's something we call the idiot tax. It's very hard to be successful without paying the idiot tax. And um, now I embrace it. Like I know every time I, I, okay, I screwed up again. I've made it. I made another foolish error. I won't make that one, you know, most likely again. And so I'm smarter and better because of it. I think you've just got to run into it like anything in life. Like our parents made us go do sports or made us go to parties we didn't want to go to. And now all of a sudden we love parties or we love sports. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I love all of them. I'll go to trap number seven, the know-it-all trap. Yeah. This you see a lot too. And it's a shame really. And we can fall into it ourselves. You have a certain amount of success and then you think you're brilliant and you're like, oh man, this is, I remember back in the boom, the stock market boom of the early 2000s, a buddy of mine worked at a high tech company. He told me I should buy some shares. So I did. And it went straight up. Like it was doubling, you know, probably went up 10 X. And, and all these guys kept saying, Hey, uh, why don't you coach us on how to invest in the stock market? And I resisted it at first, but I fell into the trap of, they were flattering me and flattering me. So we started this investment group I started trying to coach people on what to invest in. And then the market, like no later than a few months later, the market just crashed, the dot-com crash of 2000. And, you know, we all got crushed, me and everybody in the group. And I realized as I analyzed that afterwards, because they weren't really mad at me, everyone was hurt and I didn't lose friends over it. But I, I looked at it, I was like, I didn't know what I was doing. I just fallen into <laughs> had a little dumb luck because the market was going up. And I thought I knew tech because a buddy of mine worked at a tech company. He wasn't high enough to be insider training. He was just an employee, but he's like, we're killing it. You should invest. So um, I realized I didn't know what the heck I was talking about and I would never, you know, be that know-it-all again. And I'd definitely fallen into a bit of a know-it-all trap, even though I tried to resist it. It's very compelling at first. Um, But you see that in a lot of places. Like I sat down with a kid the other day who's trying to rise up in the world and he just started telling me stuff, lecturing me. And I'm like thinking, dude, like I've had a little little bit of business success. and, And when I was your age, you're, you know, you're 20 years younger than me. I'd probably just be asking questions and taking notes. And it's fine and well that you want to tell me stuff. It might be useful. It might be not useful, but it, that, that guy's already, and it's a defense mechanism of like, hey, look at me, I'm important and start. But none of that's really relevant. You don't have to look important. You have to have the knowledge to win. If you, if you have the knowledge and you buckle down and you keep building wealth over the long term, you'll get importance. You'll get status. But don't start off seeking the status. Start off seeking the knowledge and let your performance over time build the status. David, how frustrating is it for people to you know, sit down with you. I'm sure you get a lot of, can I pick your brain or can I come take you to lunch or can I, all these things. And you, you know, seem to be a really nice guy. I'm sure you just are are open to like giving folks advice if they seem to really want it. And then you see them doing the complete opposite. So it's like, they seem to be taking it in, but then they're not really as coachable as they pretend to be or. You know, again, it's, it's so great to be older. Patrice, because I just don't worry about it anymore. I used to a lot. Um, and then Jim Rohn is one of my favorite teachers. He said, you know, there's a story of the, the, the seed that gets distributed and some of it lands on the path and it withers and some lands in the brambles and it gets uh, choked out. And some lands on fertile ground and it grows up into being a wonderful tree. And he said, he said, he compared that to the sales guy. One guy shows up in the office and he's really exciting. He's got a lot of energy and you just think, oh, that guy's going to do well. And then two months later, like what happened? You just don't worry about why. He obviously was a seed that fell on a dry ground or fell in the bramble. Something got him. Uh, And then you might see another person. You think, boy, there's no way that person makes it. And then two years later, they're killing it and doing great. And that's the person where it landed on fertile ground. You don't worry. You can't analyze or microanalyze the seed. You've just got to keep 
trying to be a benefit to others and try to share nutritious and valuable information and don't be surprised or judge the outcome. Leave that to somebody else. So mm-hmm. I think as I've gotten further along, I just care a lot less about more and I, I care a lot about less. So I care about my family, my friends, the people close to me. I love to see people win. It's one of my favorite things in the world to see somebody transition out of um, the the struggles of life and into sort of the victory, the financial victory. I see the benefit it brings to them and to their families if they're open to the other lessons because making the money is not enough. You've got to learn how to be a great father or mother. You got to learn how to be a great uh, husband or wife or what you know partner. What, You've got to learn to be so many different things. You look and look after your health, all these other things. But if you win that entire thing, life can be so fruitful and amazing. And that, that rewards me and warms my heart when it happens. But I don't, I don't look for who's going to win and who's going to fail anymore. I put out the information. If the person wastes my time, I stop talking to them. I just move on. Yeah. I love that you talked about all the other areas of life that we want to win in. And I think that's why folks kept saying, I see such a connection between redefining wealth and this book because um, our pillars are pretty much some of the same things that you talk about in the book. And I really want you to talk about the importance of having the ground game and the air game because you started and you started that section of the book with the health scare that you had in your early 20s. Uh, It was like so important. Yeah. So I, uh, I actually, it was actually just as I was in my thirties, but it was a health scare and it was uh, shingles from stress. And what I realized was, as I was working then, and I was trying to build my way, I was doing everything as if it was all equal, like every job that came on. So if a guy called me and tried to sell me insurance and I needed to do something critical for my business, if that guy called first, I would respond to that before getting to my critical uh, activities. And because I was trying to do so much and working so many hours beyond, you know, like all entrepreneurs, we tend to work a lot of hours early on in our careers. Um, I had, my body started breaking down. Like I started having a recurrence of chicken pox and I went to the doctor and I was like, man, doc, I'm, I'm in a lot of pain. Can you please tell me what's going on? He said, I don't know, you're 30 years old and you've got shingles. That's crazy. Most people don't get this stuff till they're in their fifties. Um, and so I had to have a transformation and a breakthrough. So I went to a couple of classes and one of, the, one of the classes was by a guy worth about 50 million, the richest guy I knew at the time. And he said to me, listen, what you need to do is just list everything you got to do each day, one to seven, and do the top three most important things. That's it. Blow off everything else. Prioritize everything A, B, and C, and only do the A's. And so that transformed me. Like it, 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 it changed my entire life. I came back from these seminars. One of my partners said, it's like you were Clark Kent. And you went away and then you came back into this phone booth and you, you became, you know, Superman. And I think that's a very generous assertion, but I certainly stopped doing the junk and started doing just the most important thing. That's phenomenal. That, that's what I like the Clark Kent, uh, <laughs> the Clark Kent <laughs> reference, because it seems like then you took radical action, right? Yeah, I took, yeah. You weren't like, you know, well, I'll get, because uh, I see people who say, still say, well, I'll get around to that. Or that's yeah. still not the priority because they're still very much chasing money. Right. So they still can't manage, even with that level of information, to make their health a priority or to make their family a priority or to make self-care in any way the priority. Right. So that's when I realized that there's this thing called air game, ground game. And ground game is just doing what shows up every day and grinding through it, right? And that's fine. It'll get you a certain space. 
But all your real money and all your real breakthroughs are made from stepping back and thinking about your life and asking yourself, am I taking the right actions right now to serve me for the long term? Think about health. Like if you want to be wealthy, the best way to be wealthy is longevity. The longer you last, the more opportunities you have for compounding and for your assets to increase in value. If you die 10 years or 15 years younger than you should, you cut off 10 to 15 years of compounding. And that's probably at least a tripling of your net worth or certainly a doubling. So if you're at 1 million, it could be two or four. I mean, it, it has a significant impact. So, so that's where I kind of came up with this concept of air game, ground game. And again, borrowing from a lot of teachers out there, which is that the ground game is just you on the gerbil wheel, just running in circles and trying to crush it out success game is being a satellite looking over your life and saying, okay, what do I need to be a better business person? What do I need to make more money? What do I need to do to be a better father, a better husband, uh, keep my health in shape? And, and then putting that into a flight plan or an action plan. And, and the one thing I notice about wealthy people is they are so purposeful and I've become so purposeful. I went from a procrastinating youth, a guy that was ambitious, but not really very clue, clueful. I would just kind of wander around from spot to spot. Um, and now I'm incredibly purposeful. And the reason I'm able to get so much done, exercise, relationship, family, I'm doing way more in a year than I probably did in 10 years in my 20s is because of that purposefulness. I started a mastermind this year called Mastery Momentum. And currently I have 14 women and they are setting goals in each one of the pillars at this point. So in all six pillars, they have something that they're working on each quarter. And so the number one thing, they've been getting amazing results already, but the number one thing that I've heard is, but how do people keep this up in all areas of your life? Right. Like, how do you do that? Yeah, it's the ultimate discipline. It is the ultimate playbook for life is, so I I have a goal set. You know, these are my, well, you can't see it, but I have a goal. Oh, I see that. I see see that. That's (laughs) that's my goal template, right? So I have all these gardens of life. I have eight gardens. The first one is relationship and family. I always put that first because with my wife, it was the one I probably sacrificed the most early when we were dating. In fact, I'm surprised she hung in there with me because I would just work, work, work. And I realized one day that that wasn't good enough. She actually said to me, you know, like dating you is like being in the backseat of your car. And I said, honey, why would you put up with that? That sounds terrible. And she said, because every now and then you put me in the front seat and it's so nice. So what I've realized is for me to have the relationship I want, my wife needs to be in the front seat almost all the time. I would say all the time, but I'd be lying to you because there are times when I just get hammered anyway. And the same with my kids too. Like I, I, I've been on two week vacations before and come back and my, my little ones, you know, they don't even really know who I am. I'm like, that's not good. <laughs> and so I put that first always. And it could be as simple as like this morning I got up, I rode my Peloton before my kids were up. And then I, and then I did 15 or 20 minutes of pure focus play with my son. Now that is that perfect? No, but we were wrestling and we were messing around with his toys. My daughter was sick, so she didn't get out of bed. And we just like had a really great 15 or 20 minutes. Now, when, we, when I had to go to work, he wanted more and I couldn't give it to him. But at least we got that 15 or 20 minutes of really uninterrupted time. And that's really all it takes twice a day. If I can get maybe 45 minutes at the end of the day, 15 minutes at the front of the day, the relationship is so much warmer. You know, kids don't hide it and I see it. Secondly, the second garden is spiritual, just keeping my faith right, keeping my contribution right. My third is health. Uh, and I do that. It's just the same, man. You've just got to build in the discipline. Like I bought a Peloton. I love it. And I've ridden it five days in a row now. I lift some weights. It doesn't take that long. 30 minutes on the Peloton in the morning, I break a huge sweat. I mean, it's hard work. It's like a spin class. 
Um, and that it, it doesn't, it doesn't take that long. What I try to do is keep everything in my house. Some, my wife likes to go to a trainer. I like it all right there and super easy, super fast hop in the shower. Yeah. Uh, the other one is intellectual, which I like to read or listen to a podcast every day. Um, lifestyle adventure. So here's an interesting thing. I tell people you should take a killer vacation every year, whether you can afford it or not. Um, mm. so anyway, that way, that way you're telling your inner self that you deserve more. If you're constantly keep, it doesn't have to be expensive. You could drive to the Grand Canyon. You could go see a play, whatever you like to do. But once a year, you got to reward your spirit and say, hey, I know you're working hard. I know we're ambitious together. Here's one killer experience you get every year with your family or, or alone, whichever you have or which you prefer. And um, I think that way you, you're telling yourself you deserve more. And then who you hang out with, your environment tribe, and that's so important, your peers, your coaches, the mastermind you've created. I've thrived in masterminds my entire career, and they've made all the difference. Um, and then uh, the financial and career goals. I love that. I love that. And how often do you tap into that? Is that something you're looking at every morning? Yeah. So here's one of my favorite goals to review it 50 times, at least once a week. And if you saw it, you see, I strike it up with Roman Roman numerals. Every quarter, I stick a new one in my journal or my workbook, whatever. I'm So every quarter, so it'll be like, say, April 15th, I got to pay my taxes. I hate that. But then I got, I, I mean, I like paying taxes. But <laughs> never that fun. And then I got to review my quarter. So I take, okay, I take out my goals and I see how I did because I, I, I put, I strike every time. So I worked out and rode the Peloton tomorrow morning. I'll give myself a strike for that. So then I, at the end of the first quarter, we'll review, for instance, how many workouts did I do? I said I was going to do 240. Am I on track? Which means I'd have to do, you know, divide that by four, like 70 or something or 60. Mm -hmm. And maybe I did 50. And I'm like, okay, I'm on track, but I'm a little behind there. So I reprinted out, I put it in my journal. Now, the reason I only review it 50 times and not 100, and it, probably I ended up around 60 a year, is because when I go on vacation, I don't take it. I'm not studying it when I'm on vacation. When I get really busy, I don't always get to it. But I've noticed a direct correlation to the amount of times I review it and the results I get. I also want it to be inspiring for me. So I don't want to read it so many times that I'm like going through it rote. But when I accomplish something, I highlight it. So it gets easier and easier as the year goes on to uh, track my goals. And I'm very specific about the actions I want. Now, keep in mind, Patrice, when I started this, I would only do 10 goals or 15 or 20 goals. I have about 80 now, but that's because I've spent 25 years mastering this art of goal setting. And I've been in and out on effectiveness. I had years where I barely looked at it. But now today, after so many years, just like riding a bicycle or skiing, like now it's integrated in my life. I have a huge positive reward system from it because I find I get about 80 to 85% of the stuff I write down at the beginning of the year. Now, when I first did it, it might have been 25 or 30%. Um, but I think wealthy, successful people are purposeful to their own agenda. The Super Bowl doesn't matter to them. The, te- the latest gossip with the Kardashians doesn't matter. The politics of the world doesn't matter. I mean, it it has a place, but it's not the main thing. The main thing is being purposeful about being a great business person, a great father, a great husband, and, and sharpening your internal being on a constant basis. I love it. I love it. And I've been actually, I don't have my journal near me, but I do the same thing. I print it out and I put little dots like for the days that I do things. Nice. And I've been probably doing that since I was about 22 or 23 years old. That's awesome. I know that it's made the difference. And that's why I started the mastermind because I'm like, I want more people, you know, to have an opportunity to really see what this looks like inside and out because things don't just happen. Right. Right. Like it just like people don't just become successful. That's correct. 
And that is the biggest, I think, misconception. Folks think, oh, if I get a bunch of Instagram followers or Twitter followers or something, and I'm like, a lot of those people have no money, no success, no assets. They just have a great online presence and you're fooled by that. Yeah. This stuff takes work. I love that you actually say, you talk about the corporation of me, which Mm -hmm. I thought was brilliant because I've always been saying I'm the CEO of my life since I was like, I don't know, 18 or something. Nice. Um, And so I really want you to talk about having a corporation of me and what that means, because I think that goes in sync with taking control of your life. Well, you are such a great example of everything, you know, and like I said, talking with you and hearing the way you've approached it, it really makes me happy inside because if all of us could just get a little bit of this, like what a great world it would be. You know, it's like you take care of your world, find a place to make a difference. I'll take care of my world, find a place to make a difference. And we could, we could just build an incredible community and country and, you know, world if everyone followed that. And that's not easy. You have to own yourself. So you have to be the CEO of, you know, the corporation of you. And one of the things you'll notice about that from my perspective is you don't, you know, a corporation, they don't try to do everything themselves. You don't have one person doing everything. You have other people. Everyone has a skill set. So from my point of view, again, if and you, you guys are going to have a, a, a defense against this, but if you, if you don't like cleaning your house, you shouldn't. You should hire someone to clean your house. And people are like, oh, it's easy for you to say you got money. I, I had somebody do it. I had money. <laughs> right. I did it before I had money too. I did it when I, I, you know, I was barely making ends meet. I had an apartment and I got some learning again. It was a, it wasn't my idea. It was that same seminar that I went to where the guy said, just do the most important stuff. And so I stopped cleaning my house after that and started doing the most important stuff. And the next thing you know, my kitchen stunk. I didn't even want to walk into it. So I was like, okay, what can I do to fix this? And I found somebody who would come clean my house for 40 bucks for one hour. And so, it, I mean, my apartment, or it was $40 and it was, it's not that much money. I mean, yeah, it was, I wasn't making 40 bucks an hour back then. That's for sure. It was a couple hours worth of my labor, but at the end of the day, it was a no brainer. And then, and then I found that I wasn't paying my bills. So I, I asked around people like, oh, people have bookkeepers. So I found a bookkeeper. She come to my house once a week for 35 bucks. So it was 35 bucks a week. So now I had an outlay of 75, but a corporation doesn't do all this themselves. They have bookkeepers, they have cleaners, they have, and they do the most important stuff, which is generally client acquisition, client acquisition artist and most important thing to do. And that's what you need to become expert at if you want to be successful in business. So um, you run the corporation that way. You keep a set of books. Like how often do you look at financials for your life, whether they're good or bad? If you try, you know, most people only do it when they go to the bank to get a loan because the bank makes them. Uh-huh. But, but a corporation does it all the time. They have a whole department looking at their numbers. Where's the money coming from? Where's it going? Are we being responsible with it? And I had my bookkeeper do that. I'd have them send me a P&L for my personal life every month. And it began to, you know, evidence started to show up and I'd set a savings goal. Can I save five grand this year? Can I save 10 grand this year? And I started stretching towards those goals. And it's, and so that's the CEO of you. You have to run yourself like a bunch of different departments. And, um, you know, then it becomes easier to manifest that in life. That's awesome. Um, I love that. I love it because to your point, how can you how can you really grow something that you're not measuring? Often? Yes, that's right? right. Like so, we have all these goals, and at the beginning of the year, it's really easy to say, "Oh, I want to save five thousand dollars a year. I want to save a thousand dollars for the first time, or if I want to pay off this much debt, or I want to start investing." But how do you know where you're going if you don't know where you're even starting from? Like that's something you have to nurture and yep. track over time, and so. You did it by sitting down with your bookkeeper, but do you suggest people kind of just having a day each month that they focus on it or a day each week? What would you suggest? I mean, I think you got to manage money 
the people manage the people that manage the things, but the people that manage the money manage the people that manage the people is one of the sayings I learned early on. So you, you know, balance your checkbook. It's just fundamental skills, right? There are credit cards where it'll track it all for you, where you spend it and stuff like that. Um, I think you should absolutely devote a certain amount of time to looking at your financials on a monthly basis, at least once a month, try to get a P&L. Yes, you can hire it, but you can also do it yourself. It doesn't really take that long. And as you get better and better at that, there's not a single wealthy person that doesn't know a little bit about money and money management, unless they got really lucky, they won the lottery or something like that. So, and you don't ever want to be taken advantage of in life. So develop that money habit, just an hour a month, I think would probably get you there. Maybe two hours a month max. Yeah. I love in the book too. I was going to get to that. And I'm glad you brought it up though. You said outsource as much as you can so you can focus on the plan. Yeah, exactly. So you can focus on the plan. And I think that that is the biggest misconception, especially for women, David. Women struggle with this a lot in my community because women tend to have superwoman syndrome, yeah. Wonder Woman syndrome, and they feel like, but my family won't feel the same if I don't cook. Right. I don't clean up or I need to go pick up my kids every day or I need to drop them off every day or I need to be there for everyone, everything, everything under the sun instead of focusing on where I really want to be 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. Right. And I tell women all the time, you can delegate that stuff. That does not matter. I would rather delegate someone going to the grocery store because I get no personal satisfaction (laughs) from going to the grocery store. I hate being cold. Right. Um, And so I don't get any satisfaction from that. But with that same hour, I could devote that time to my daughter. I would rather do that or I would rather work on my business or I would rather look at the bigger picture for my life rather than spend time in places that I don't like to be in the first place or things that don't require me to do it. I would encourage your listeners to uh, just try it. Try it for six weeks. You know, I agree that there are, and I met, my wife was that way. She didn't want a nanny helping us with the kids. She didn't want uh, somebody cleaning the house. And I was like, honey, let's just give it a six month try and we'll see how you feel in six months. And, you know, when you get that time, (laughs) uh, yeah, we've never gone back. She gets it now. I mean, she's all on board with that. Instacart is an amazing thing too. That saves a lot of time, but she, she, she felt the same way and now she finds she has time with our kids and she gets to be more creative and do the things she loves. She had a small business when I, when I was dating her. And um, yeah, I mean, you just, you just got to delegate the non, you should write down how much you get paid to do that activity. How much would you have to pay someone to go to the store and buy your groceries? Eight bucks an hour, 10 bucks an hour. If it takes two hours, that's 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. And then how much would you make for getting one more killer client? Is, if you spent those two hours prospecting, could you make an extra thousand bucks? So you're basically trading $20 for a thousand dollars if you are not delegating that activity, unless you love it. If you love fixing your car, by all means, fix your car. But if you don't, oil change is 75 bucks. You have one hour to do that. How much could you make in that hour if you dedicate it to prospecting? The risk is that people get those hours back and then they waste time watching TV or doing something goofy. So just don't waste the time. You're, you're, it's a privilege to be able to build a business where other folk with for you and everyone gets to do what they love to do and what they're skilled at and they make a living doing what they do. Don't squander that gift of time back. If you're not mowing your yard, then make sure, um, you know, you're making your calls during that time that you've got someone mowing your yard for you. Yeah. I had a, I had a, a, an attorney do that same exercise that you just mentioned, writing down that stuff, grocery store, uh, dry cleaning runs, little errands, runs to Target. You know, a 10 minute stop at Target ends up being an hour and a half. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, of course. 
can't walk in Target and just walk back out. And we talked about that because she was billing like $300 an hour or something. I'm like, your time is valuable. You don't have time for that anymore. You have to trade that off. Oh my gosh. Go ahead, David. The lesson you're sending for your kids too. If you do that, you're telling your kids, you know, you too can build financial freedom. If you spend 10 years and you learn to delegate and get your business going and, and be successful, you're setting an example that changes the destiny of your children. They see it and go, wow, look at look at mom, look what she's doing. I could do the same thing when I get older. I don't have to go to Target and buy my groceries. I don't have to clean my own house if I'm purposeful about other things. And so you're setting a great example and changing the sort of the dynamics of you know, certainly my mom and dad did everything themselves. They didn't delegate. They weren't business people. My mom was a realtor. My dad was a soldier. So we didn't have that. But uh, you're changing the destiny of your kids if you do it right. Oh, I love that. Last thing I want to ask you to do is just break down really quickly the four-part path. I think if nothing else, that having wealth vision um, in chapter five, you talk about the four-part path. I know the first one was plan for wealth. Okay, right. So I'm a huge fan of planning. I'm a huge fan of being purposeful, as you said. First one is planning. And planning to me is everything. You you get into that air game, you step out of your life and you look down on it like you're a satellite looking down on your life or a coach looking down on the game plan and saying, what do I need more of and less of in my life? What do I want to do? Where do I want to go? You just free flow it, sit in a beautiful coffee shop or an inspiring place, write down all your thoughts, everything that comes to you of like, I would like more of this, less of that, more of this. And then you take all of those different ingredients, if you will, and you actionize them. So if it's I want less house cleaning, then the action is to hire a maid. If you want more money, then the action is do the money producing activities, which is usually prospecting and finding clients or taking care of the clients. Uh, If you want better health, it's okay. What am I going to do that? Well, I can do 45 minutes, five times a week that I'll enjoy. It can be just a walk. There's really no difference between an Olympic athlete and an active person. There's a massive difference between a sedentary person and a non-active person. Uh I mean, an active person. So, Write all that stuff down, come up with an actionable set of goals. And that's now your flight plan for your life. So that's the first step. So plan for wealth, then take action steps to move yourself forward. And then number three was work with a team of talented people and peers. Yeah. So you want to surround yourself by the most positive, talented people you can. And if you're, you know, CEO doesn't mean chief, chief excuse officer. If you're around people that are making excuses all the time, you need to get away from those people because there's a million reasons you can't succeed. And if you look for them, you'll find them. But at the end of the day, the only way to win is to take action and be around people that validate that action, be around. It's so much easier when you're around people that just like, hey, you know what? I know it's tough out there. I know there's a lot of reasons I can't get stuff done, but I'm going to figure out how to get it done anyway. When you first make that decision, you'll feel all alone, like you're an island under yourself. But pretty soon you'll start finding other people that are like that. There's a saying that eagles fly alone. That's not really true. Eagles just like to fly with other eagles. So go find the can do, going to make it happen people. That doesn't mean you're not allowed to have problems. Problems. You are allowed to have problems, but don't like move into that problem, build a house there and just dwell in it. You got to be like, okay, here's the problem. It str- sucks. I'm struggling at it. How can I get out of it? And then surround yourself with people that can help you with that and are encouragers, not, not detractors or drainers. Absolutely. And then the last was hold yourself accountable. Yeah. So I used to think accountability was a terrible thing. My dad was a green break colonel. So I hated being held accountable. Now it's my favorite thing. It's like discipline. I used to hate discipline. Now I love discipline. And so you've got to build a structure in your life that you are forced to do the things you don't want to do so you can become the person you do want to become. So the way I do that is I hire health coaches like personal trainers, 
I hire uh, business coaches and have my entire career. And my favorite, the very best is to get into masterminds, Listen, you know, because in a mastermind, it's your peers holding you accountable. It doesn't have that same pressure. And when you get around peers like that, you start having this thought, like, if they can do it, why can't I do it? So I, and the, the, the peer and the masterminding, I think is the absolute best. Yeah. I surrounded myself this year in particular with so much accountability. Like I have an accountability group with two women that I adore. Um, yeah. I'm in a mastermind for podcasters who have over half a million downloads or so. Like that was the minimum criteria that we all kind of be at the same place. Nice. Um, in another mastermind, just a business mastermind. And then I'm running a mastermind, but seeing these ladies, I get to be in that mix too Absolutely. as I'm guiding them um, in their journey. And then we have another mastermind for real estate. Fantastic. With uh, some real estate partners that we have that we invest in multi-unit apartment buildings. And so like surrounded every week, I have at least two forms of some type of a accountability call. Some weeks it's three of them. And with, even with all the goals set and the different pillars and areas of my life, the productivity, man, because those things take precedence. And so there's not really any time for dumb stuff. <laughs> like there's no time for TV or, you know, not that I don't, you know, binge on a Saturday night with my husband, find a show on Netflix that we want to watch. But like throughout the course of the workday, there's just no time for anything that is not moving us forward. That's awesome. I, I, I think you're doing all the right things. Um, uh, there's a quote I, I love. It's, you're going to have pain in life. You're either going to have the pain of developing a few useful disciplines or later on the pain of regret. You have yeah. to make a choice of which pain you want to choose. And um, for me, all the things you're doing, surrounding myself by people that make it happen and people that are striving to improve their lives and their communities and their families, um, it's just, it's just a, it's a journey well worth living. And so I'm really excited to hear all the things you're doing. I'm doing exactly the same thing. Everything you described, I'm doing, and then I'm just moving up, you know, uh, mastermind groups with my success and, um, making sure I don't hang out with people that drain my energy, but people that inspire me like you, Patrice. That's awesome. Well, before I let you go, David, uh, we end every episode with what we call redefining wealth, rapid wisdom questions. Okay. I'm going to ask you a few things and you can tell us the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. You got it. The first one is how do you define success? Being able to do what you want to do with whom you want to do it whenever you want to do it. <laughs> I cover my eyes because that's exactly what I say. <laughs> nice. I and I've it. had, I've interviewed, I don't know, maybe 50 people now for the podcast. And yeah. you're the first person to say exactly what I said. That's crazy. We're like family. <laughs> How do you define wealth in three words or less? I would say abundance, prosperity, and contribution. Love it. What's one book that has redefined how you see wealth? Wealth. I would say um, I have to go to Think and Grow Rich. But if you wanted a, a different one, I would say The the Giving Tree recently. Have you ever read G The Giving Tree? It's no, a, I haven't. The kid's book, but it's just a beautiful book of going all in. And, and uh, I love that book, The Giving Tree. I love it. That's the, that's the one we'll go with, The Giving Tree. All right, done. Fill in the blank. My name is, and then the truth about wealth is. My name is David Osborne, and the truth about wealth is that wealth is not a destination. It's a process. 
And the journey of wealth is one of expansion, personal growth, and miracles if you choose to follow it. Brilliant. (laughs) Thank you so much, David. This has been such a great conversation. You did not disappoint. I am so grateful that you took time out of your busy schedule. It's my pleasure. Uh, And I know that the audience is going to be incredibly blessed and we are going to definitely get more people understanding that wealth can't wait. I love it. You've been a great interviewer, Patrice. Thanks so much for your energy and for contributing to the world. Thank you. Okay, didn't I tell you? David is incredible. What a down-to-earth soul. Like, think about the bio that I read in the beginning, right? 4,500 agents, annual sales volume of exceeding eight and a half billion. And he was so gracious, so generous. And I'm just so grateful that I had the opportunity to talk to him one-on-one. I can't wait to go to Austin because I will take him up on his offer (laughs) to reach out. I definitely will. It's just such an incredible human being. And I'm glad you guys had an opportunity to hear him. But now let's dive into this book together. Now, I am willing to read Wealth Can't Wait for the fourth time because it is truly that good to me. And I want to keep my air game tight. I really am in a season where I just want to keep the air game tight and not get so caught up in just ground game, right? And so I want you to do that with me. So come on over, make sure you're a purpose chaser. And together, we're going to do Patrice's Pod Club again. Get this book. We're going to read it together and we will meet up in like a month and discuss it virtually. So go ahead and get yours. Don't delay. And I just want to leave you with this because it just keeps sticking out in my mind. When he said develop discipline that will serve you for a lifetime, this is it. Like being here, being present, showing up for this podcast every week, taking away what nuggets you can, implementing immediately, reading books, like doing this work, just the way you keep showing up is a part of that. Keep developing the discipline because it will serve for a lifetime. Wealthy people are so purposeful. I love that he said that. And they're purposeful to their own agenda. So if you are in the habit of just watching a bunch of TV every week, I'm going to invite you that as you become more confident with your money management skills, that you put down the remote and pick up a book and join us. Join us. Read this book. Let's do it together. Let's unpack this together. And let's start implementing together. I've already seen incredible results just from reading his book and and introducing it to my husband and others. And so I really want you to be a part of this with us. So definitely do that. And also a reminder, I know you heard us mention the mastermind. I am not enrolling at the moment, but if you want to join the wait list, we only have 14 spots that will come available again in June. Now, as usual, I want you to go live your life's purpose, find fulfillment and earn more without ever chasing money. Talk to you later. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.